Welcome to Hit Subscribe, a podcast by Recharge designed to educate, inspire, and connect the subscription commerce space. On today's episode, we're talking with Jimmy Joy, a pioneer in creating nutritionally complete and sustainable shakes, bars, and drinks. Specifically, Nino Levicar, Chief Marketing Officer, and Otto Mouton, Chief Commercial Officer. Otto and Nino are sharing the challenges they faced going to retail, what they learned from rolling out in the biggest supermarket in the Netherlands, and why they chose to refocus on D2C. So let's dive in. Otto and Nino, thank you guys for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. So give us a little bit about yourselves, Otto. Why don't you go first? Yeah, sure. Um, I've been with uh, Jimmy Joy for about six years now this summer. Um, I think the company is about seven years old. So I was um, with the company pretty early on. Um, Originally, I came at Jimmy Joy uh, to be an intern to do research on uh, how to get the Jimmy Joy products retail ready. uh, Because um, seven years ago, we were still on our baby shoes, and um, yeah, there was just a lot of work to do, especially if you operate in the food industry and you have your own production in-house. Um, there's a lot of rules uh, that you have to comply to. Um, so they brought me on to do research um, on on the retail strategy for Jimmy Joy, uh, what would need to be need to happen um, to actually get the products into retail eventually. Um, after finishing up that um, research, I decided to stay as I have a commercial background. Um, and they took me on as their sales lead. So from there on on, um, I did mostly B2B sales um, and eventually uh, landed Jimmy Joy after a lot of hard work and a lot of research um, in one of the biggest retailers in the Netherlands. Um, I think that took about one and a half year in total, um, which was which was really, really cool. Um, and then eventually about two years later, um, I took on the role as chief commercial officer at Jimmy Joy. So, um, yeah, been with the company for, uh, for about six years and, um, grew with it, um, as the company, uh, grew bigger as well. We're definitely going to dig into some of that intern to, to chief level, uh, role. So I want to talk about that more, but, uh, Nino, give sure. us your background as well. Yeah, sure. So I'm uh, I'm Nino. I'm the chief marketing uh, officer at uh, Jimmy Joy. Started uh, about seven years ago. I before that I worked at uh, at a small e-commerce shop, uh, also in Amsterdam. Uh, but I wanted to move into digital marketing, and that's the same moment where uh, where Joey, the founder of Jimmy Joy, started experimenting with uh, with the products. Um, and I was a good friend of his. I've known him for a long time. So uh, I just asked, like, hey, do you guys, do you need any help with, uh, with setting up the e-commerce side? And uh, coincidentally, he was, he was looking for somebody. So uh, I, just, uh, I just started off with doing a bunch of stuff that you do at, the, at, a, at, a, at a startup. Uh, so uh, from, uh, from setting up the store, finding, uh, finding how, do, how we will ship the products, finding uh, ingredients, uh, basically just doing everything, logistics uh, to... Uh, yeah, to uh, to finance. Uh, slowly, as the company grew, I, I was able to, uh, to to shift my focus towards other stuff, um, and I had a lot of interest in uh, in packaging design. So I I, I designed the first uh, packaging, um, and also slowly moved towards marketing, and that's where I still am. So I spent the team uh, try to uh, try to grow the business uh, from from there. It's fantastic. I love hearing the stories where you start low and you kind of work your way up. So that's where I want to start. Actually, what's what's that process like? I mean, I know coming in, it's it's total startup. You're wearing a bunch of hats. Everyone's doing everything. No one really has a job description. Otto, what's it like coming in and just kind of hitting the ground running and going, okay, I'm gonna just learn and figure this out as I go. 
Um, yeah, I think you've kind of hit it spot on. Uh, like everybody's wearing multiple hats. Uh, it can be very chaotic at times, but also um, it's, it's what definitely makes it interesting to work at a startup, right? Because, I mean, you could go to a big corporate and, you know, be on the 13th floor somewhere in a high building uh, doing marketing all day uh, as a startup position, uh, but you're immediately thrown into the depth pool um, when you um, get into like the startup scene um, and in a startup business. So, um, yeah, you, you grow in your position as the company grows um, and, you know, everybody's finding their own way and, and finding their own interest. And um, while the team expanded, it's, it's usually like the ones who are on board, board first um, are a few steps ahead, obviously. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's really um, like it evolves naturally. Um, and, uh, you know, if you put in the hard work and you see that the company is benefiting from, from it, uh, then it's uh, it's definitely a two-way street and, um, you know, everybody wins. How about yeah, you, Nino? Definitely. What's that process like growing from, from zero to the top? Uh, well, as Otto mentioned, it's just, uh, just doing the hard work and uh, making a lot of mistakes on the way. Uh, I think uh, we made pretty much uh, every mistake that you can make as a company. So uh, we learned a lot from that. Uh, I think you can learn a lot from, uh, from all the mistakes that we made. So uh, that is definitely how you start getting into a role. And then as time goes on, you learn about uh, what metrics really matter the most, what you have to focus on, and what's a bit less important, like what really drives growth in the company and what is just some fuzz that you don't need to focus on. So uh, it's, a, it's an interesting process. Great insight there. What's, um, let's talk about the, the actual product. Nino, give me a little bit of detail about what Jimmy Joy is. Sure. So uh, Jimmy Joy is, uh, is basically a nutritionally complete meal. Uh, that means that every meal uh, contains uh, a balance of 26 essential vitamins and minerals. Uh, it has plant protein, essential fats, complex carbohydrates, fibers. Uh, it's low in sugar and completely plant-based. So you, you started D2C and you started selling online and then you moved into retail. Is that correct? Yep. That's, uh, that's correct. Um, the, the primary focus has always been uh, D2C, although uh, we, we had very ambitious plans um, early on, especially because we had such a great start. Um, we launched internationally, um, I think in the first year, we already did like 40 countries worldwide, um, if not more. Um, but, but retail was, was definitely something that we were eyeballing as well. Um, because I mean, it's, it's a boy's dream, right? I mean, if you, if you grow so fast and you see it exploding, like everywhere across the globe, um, you want to be on every street corner as well, right away. Um, so, um, yeah, primary focus has definitely been, uh, DTC, but, um, retail, uh, has been part of the, the journey for sure. Yeah. And that's how we all grew up, right? You know, you walk down grocery store lines or you can see things on the product shelves. D2C wasn't a big thing when we were younger in, in the 80s, 90s, 2000s. So that's always the, the, the big goal to get there. But things have shifted so quickly. Um, Nina, what, what's it like trying to get into that retail world and where, where maybe some of the, the successes and failures from that? Uh, I think that's more uh, more autos departments. I think he's he's better uh, <laughs> at that, that question because uh, he set up. He basically just set up the. Uh, he got us there. Uh, maybe you can tell us a bit about about the packaging, like how we did not have packaging that was specialized for for retail. And we, we designed it for for retail. Yeah, 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 yeah sure. Um, 
it actually started with the production itself, right? Um, of course, we were taking um, uh, measures to to produce food in a safe way. Um, but if you're talking uh, big retail, they want to have like the highest food safety standards in place. Uh, in our case, that mean, meant the BRC um, food safety certificates, uh, which basically is just a whole big, massive list of, of rules you have to comply to all the way from uh, the production itself to the the top management basically, uh, and we were not there at that place uh, at that time. It's good to to mention that uh, that we basically just have everything in house, so uh, production yeah. in house, uh, but also uh, also fulfillment in house. Um, that there was there was a choice of ours uh, because uh, one thing is if you keep it in house, you uh, you have oversight of the entire supply chain. Uh, you can keep the costs very low. Uh, up until today, we have not found a, a partner that can produce the products uh, for uh, for a cheaper price while maintaining the same high quality products. And um, eventually, that also transfers to the cost that we can like we can we can offer a super affordable product to the consumers. And that's also what sets us apart from from the rest. So that is a, that is a big benefit. But uh, a big negative aspect is that you have to have all the BRC certificates, uh, which we did not have at the time. So I think yeah, you're still, no, you're still in house. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we are for, for the powders. We are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in the, in, the in the first couple of months uh, uh, or first couple of years, not first year, actually, first 12 months, we moved four times. Uh, we were first just in, in Joey's living room, mixing some powders together. <laughs> then we moved to a bigger garage, basically, where we got the first na uh, national media attention. Um, and then we moved to, a, to, I think, 200 square meter uh, room uh, where we thought we could just stay for forever. But after two months or so, we needed more raw product that we can actually fit in the space. So we uh, we went looking around in the neighborhood uh, if there were any any other office spaces and uh, production spaces that uh, fit uh, were fitting our uh, our growth goals. So we went to look at I think a thousand square meters, and I was like, yeah, this is pretty big, but still not big enough. So next to that was a two thousand square meter uh, area, and we went there in there, and it was like that was it was huge. Like I could not imagine us being there, and then we just said like let's do it. So it also gave us like. A, like a growth goal because we were we had to fill up the entire room. So uh, yeah, that's basically uh, how it started. So you went 10x, you went from 200 thinking it was too small to then go to 2000 thinking this is too big, but we have to yes. fill it, that's the goal. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we're still there, yeah. And you're still yeah. in the same spot. Yeah, so uh, yeah. That's good, super cool. It was a good decision. That's super cool. What's yeah. so what's the process like once you get into retail? Um, I know that uh, you both are super big fans of retail, and there's the sarcasm coming through. Um, what happens <laughs> when you when you do get into retail and you kind of start to see what are the metrics you're tracking? How difficult is that? Um, yeah, that's, that's where the problems start because there are, there are no metrics to to track. Right, the only feedback you're going to get is like um, a quarterly sales evaluation of the products or a bi-monthly. Uh, sales evaluation, uh, and and that's everything you get, right? Uh, especially from the big reader, retailers. They just okay, give us your products. We think it's cool enough. We'll place it on the shelves, uh, but it has to sell, right? And if it doesn't sell, eventually uh, we'll probably face it out again. Uh, wasn't the case with us, um, but um, it's it's definitely very very hard to work with, um, and and the main challenge there is actually uh, aligning everything. Uh, 
uh, aligning the, the uh, DTC goals and the retail goals. Uh, because especially if you're talking about, about retail um, and you have these big conglomerates uh, with you know a lot of bureaucracy and, and tons of rules, um, uh, being a very flexible and fast-growing startup, uh, it doesn't really go well together. Um, because obviously you start off with um, the product development, then you move into like the sourcing of materials, um, then you go into the production stage, uh, you want to time your stock right, and then eventually you want to launch the products whenever you um, are through with your current stock, right, of like the old formulas. Um, right. And to time that together with the retail, because the retail will only allow you uh, to change up your products once, maybe twice a year, especially if you're talking big retailers. Wow. Um, unless you're like a, a, a super, super big brand and you have a lot of power with the retailers, but that's a different story. Uh, and we're definitely not quite there yet. Um, it's, it's really hard to align that entire process um, together with um, you know, your retail goals, because obviously um, you want to be selling as much as possible in a retail and you really want to get your product out there. Uh, but that also means that often you have to make sacrifices in your DTC uh, goals because you need to time it right uh, with those retail moments that they give you. Um, and, and you're going to know it a couple of months in advance. They'll, the, when it's April, they'll say like, okay, uh, we're going to have our next swap in August. So if you want to have a formula launch or a formula swap in August, everything needs to be ready by then. Uh, and it also means that if you have one month delay, um, basically you're screwed and you have to wait for the next moment, which will be six months later. Um, and then you're holding two products in stock or both different formulas, one's for retail um, and one's for DTC. Um, and yeah, it just messes up your whole planning um, in terms of stock, um, uh, supply chain and, and everything. So um, there's there's definitely a, a huge challenge there as well. And um, another challenge for um, the retail is like, if you want to have a proper omni-channel strategy, um, it does require a lot of money, um, especially if you're aiming for big retailers um, in the first place, right. uh, because obviously a lot of stock is going there. Um, but if you are um, a DTC startup that's um, basically creating or part of creating a new category like we are, uh, like the complete food new replacements or the um, complete convenient foods. Um, a lot of people are not familiar familiar with those products, right? So um, yeah, how are you going to differentiate differentiate yourself um, from the other products on the shelves um, that are somewhat similar to yours? I mean, for example, are complete nutrition bars. Um, I mean, you could compare them to a protein bar or maybe like a lower quality meal replacement bar. Um, I won't name any brands. Um, uh, yeah, how are, you, how are you gonna differentiate yourself, right? How are you gonna set your bar apart from, um, from the other brands that are already uh, in the shelves that are quite similar, uh, but also not really. And it's, not, and it's not a website. So there's no right. write a value prop. You can't talk about your mission statement of the company. There's no like here are our or here's why our, our value prop is better than that. It's just someone walking in an aisle trying to look which one do I pick and you have two seconds to figure that out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it's a matter of a matter of branding. So the, as Otto said, uh, you have to have a lot of capital behind you. And uh, if you're bootstrapped like uh, like Jimmy Joy is, then it's a bit, it's a bit difficult, and especially if you don't know if the, if the marketing that you're doing is working. Uh, like for example on Facebook, you know exactly like the second day you can just check and see if it's if it's effective or not. But that is not the case with, with retail. So 
Right, right. Yeah. And, and we're, did... we're talking big budgets as well. I mean, if you want to do a campaign with a large retailer, and we're talking about the Netherlands, and the Netherlands is a small country. So when I'm talking a big retailer in the Netherlands, we're talking about a thousand stores, right? If you compare it to the US, US that's probably um, like nothing. Uh, but even like the smallest campaigns, um, the co-marketing campaigns you can do with these retailers start at like 50,000 euros. Um, you can spend 50,000 euros on Facebook and you know exactly what you're going to get back for it, right? Because you have the whole exactly. funnel control, you're, you're measuring metrics every day. Um, so you can, you can basically plan ahead and say, okay, this is what I'm, what I need to make in order to be profitable on this marketing budget. Um, but if you're doing this in retail, then you have no idea because you're going to get sales data two, three months later, and then you know if it's effective or not. So you've shifted back mostly to a D2C strategy then? Um, yeah, absolutely. The, the category has been um, expanding rapidly in the past couple of years. And, and I think we were too early, especially in the Netherlands. Um, I mean, um, if we're looking at the US, like the mirror placement market has been bigger and around for a couple of year, years longer than um, in the Netherlands. Um, and yeah, the, there was just no real product market fit yet for retail because we couldn't really um, tell our story, like our value prop. Um, we didn't have the funnel where we go from, you know, the uh, the Facebook ads all the way to the website about us, uh, the product right. information, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so we were really, really missing that. I mean, you only have your packaging. So your whole story has to be on the front of your packaging for the people who walk past the shelves. Uh, and that's all you got. Totally. And I think you, you hit that nail on the head. You're talking product market fit. So if you're defining a category and if you're trying to lead that charge and be the first ones through the wall, it takes a lot to get there. And sometimes it just doesn't work, which is not a bad thing. It's just, it's a lesson. And I think you guys, you guys are the best ones to know that going from where you were to where you are now is you have to fail and you have to make mistakes and then you have to kind of pivot and learn and go a different direction. So I think that's spot on. Um, one of the other yeah. things I wanted to talk about Nino is uh, you, you did go through a rebrand and it was fairly quickly. Um, how did that rebrand kind of work with the whole overall strategy? Um, what was it like, again, trying to go back into DDC and have a different brand, a different look? What was that like? Uh, well, I think we were, uh, we were in, the, in, the, in the shops when we went through the rebranding already, uh, if, I, if I remember correctly. Um, so the rebranding, it, it, it was not, it was not a, a case that was together. So the rebranding happened first, and then after that, the... Uh, the expansion into uh, into retail happened. Back when the company started, the founder was called uh, or is called Joey, uh, and the brand was called uh, Joyland. Uh, it was inspired by uh, by an American brand, but the names were very very similar. Uh, in the beginning, I don't think they uh, they expected us to grow as fast as we did. Uh, so uh, what we did was what uh, anybody who's sensible would do is uh, call them and ask. Uh, ask if it would not be a problem uh, if we stay on the same name and if there would be not a, if, if there are not if there would not be a court clash if we continue and their answer was basically their lawyer calling us asking us to change the name so uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's, if that's a good thing or a bad thing but uh, yeah we, we settled and uh, we thought maybe it's better to just continue with our own name because uh, yeah, that will save a lot of hassle in, in the future uh, what we did not foresee was the the impact uh, on uh, on a lot of uh, different uh, different sites. So, for example, SEO was uh, was a big factor. We took a big hit uh, there, but also uh, the timing in which we had to do rebranding. 
So uh, I think uh, we, we got like four months to do the complete rebranding. So we had to wow. order a new packaging, uh, do, the, do, do the entire designing process, um, while also just doing everything like day to day, because you gotta, you gotta keep the company uh, moving. So uh, that was definitely a challenge, but uh, it was good that we had a very loyal community because what we did was just set out, uh, set out to a forum and ask, uh, hey guys, can you think of some names? And then I think we, we got like 2000, uh, 2000 potential names. Um, so we went through them all, through them all checked if, uh, if it was not already registered. And that's how we came up with, uh, with uh, Jimmy Joy because uh, it still has the, well, the joy in it that, uh, that the previous name had. Um, and a lot of uh, the community, uh, a lot of uh, really funny community really liked that name. So it was a very easy pick. So it was kind of has a mystery around it as well, right? I mean, no one yeah. really knows who Jimmy is, but he's definitely <laughs> bringing joy. Yeah. You need some sort of mascot Jimmy, that you can name. Yeah, there Jimmy. is no, no Jimmy. We don't, we don't like, there's not a character of anything. Uh, it's just like, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> there's some marketing opportunity there to create some name, <laughs> yeah. someone named Jimmy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Very cool. Um, last thing I want to talk about is uh, you actually mentioned it before that you're you're bootstrapped and you've been bootstrapped since you started. How how has that process been? Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> it gives you it gives you a lot of opportunities because you don't have to uh, to explain yourself to any investors. So we get a lot of uh, of, of freedom. Um, so I think that's that was a big benefit. But a big negative side is that well, you just don't have a lot of money to spend. So. Every euro or every dollar that you that you get, you have to you have to get less, at least two dollars back because uh, yeah, otherwise uh, there's no liquidity because we do the product development, um, uh, production fulfillment, everything happens. So we need to have uh, some liquidity and some cash uh, in the bank to make that all possible. Um, and people people are used from uh, from us to always uh, further improve the product because uh, we work in iterations. So that's why we have version numbers in the products. Right. So uh, every time we we bring something new, it has to be better, um, but usually costs more. So uh, like better, better ingredients are, are uh, more costly. So it's definitely a, definitely a challenge. Otto, what about from your side? Um, yeah, I think, um, you know, had it pretty much spot on. I mean, on the one hand, it gives you a lot of flexibility because you don't have to answer to anyone. Um, so you can basically do as you please because you don't have to please uh, the venture capitalist or, um, you know, the people that come on board. Um, but on the other hand, uh, I think cash flow management is really, really important. And uh, um, um, while it is somewhat of a challenge, uh, it's also a very nice challenge because you really see um, the work you put in um, and, and, and the growth that comes with it is is really coming from, from your own pockets and your own efforts. I mean, sure, you could throw like 10 million into the market and, um, you know, acquire customers at a loss for the first few months. Uh, but where's the fun in that, right? I mean, uh, if, if you're like constantly improving and optimizing all your own processes, um, I think it's very, very um, satisfying to um, uh, reap the results from that. Yeah. And also to add to that, I think uh, if we would have gotten a uh, funding like a few years ago, I think uh, we could not have used it better uh, than we potentially could now, because now we exactly know like what metrics to focus on. Uh, we don't really even need need the funding. So if we got it, we we could make much more out of it. So I think if you if you um, if you set out to seek funding, make sure you know what to do with the uh, uh, with the money. I think that's uh, yeah. that's the biggest takeaway of uh, of, uh, of uh, financing. 
So I was going to ask in closing here, what's a piece of advice you'd give to a company that's kind of in your similar shoes or something you've gone through? It sounds like inventory and, and money is a big one. Yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, especially um, that, it, that it's okay to to make mistakes because we've made tons, like Nino said. Um, but I guess that's what any entrepreneur on this podcast is probably going to tell you. <laughs> like, it's okay to make mistakes, but there's definitely lo- no lie in that. Uh, but also try, try to think, uh, think ahead um, because usually if you get in uh, like external uh, money investments of some sorts, um, you have to ga- give away like a part of your company, right? And a part of you uh, that comes with it. So um, if you, if you want to, uh, you know, keep that freedom and, and do exactly as you want to do it, then um, sometimes, yeah, it might be better to uh, not sell your soul to uh, to some PC fund. <laughs> Sounds a bit dramatic, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little bit. It's not the yeah. first time we've heard that phrasing used. So I think you're, yeah. you're spot on. I think a lot of people yeah. will uh, relate to that. Otto, what are some of the plans for the future of Jimmy Joy? Um, well, we, we want to really improve our product line um, and take it one step further. So we, we started out with um, complete new replacement shakes. Um, then we moved on uh, to bars, ready to drinks. And now we also have the Plenty Pot, which is basically an instant hot meal. Um, and with, with every step we do uh, in terms of product development, uh, we're also thinking about the future. And uh, one of those things is also a re-entry into retail. Um, so we've definitely kept an eye on our packaging, um, you know, took all the learnings that we got from our previous retail adventure um, and, you know, iterated our product not only uh, from the inside out in terms of ingredients, but also from the outside, um, mainly talking about packaging and, and branding. Um, and we're actually looking to uh, do a re-entry into the retail landscape probably later this year, if not early next year, um, because we do think that our products are definitely fit for uh, retail. Uh, the market has matured. Uh, we as a company have matured. Uh, our products have improved. Uh, we've been looking for different suppliers um, and production partners to um, speed up the whole development process uh, and to be more flexible with those problems that come with retail. Um, so yeah, that's that's basically our plan for the future. Just keep on improving on our products, expanding our product range, um, and also expanding our markets, including retail. Final question for you guys. What are things that you subscribe to? Who wants to go first? <laughs> uh, I'm not. I'm not really subscribed to a lot of stuff. Actually, I think just my mobile phone. I have my, I have my Netflix, and I have uh, Stadia to uh, to game at home. All right. Yeah. So I, I think the the um, the best way to answer this, or not not the best way to answer it, but I think um, if we're comparing the U.S. market to the European market. Um, and maybe even specifically the Dutch market, because I think UK is kind of tagging along slowly. Um, subscriptions aren't really a big thing here. Um, so we do see a very big increase on the portion of our business that is subscription-based over the past few years. Um, but it's not really like the, the DTC subscription band, brands aren't really that much of a thing yet. Um, so I did have my... Um, Bolt King shaving set 
uh, back in the Netherlands. Uh, we're now in Malta. Um, but that's it. And and of course, like the technology, like the Netflix, Prime, uh, that kind of stuff, um, I'm subscribed to. Uh, but the DTC subscriptions, they really have a big catching up to do in uh, in Europe. So um, yeah, it, it was only my my bolt king uh, shaving kit for my for yeah. my sensitive skin. <laughs> And now that you mention it, I remember uh, I think four years ago we uh, we wanted to integrate subscriptions on a website, but there was nothing available. Uh, so what we had to do was call up the bank, and we managed to uh, to get some kind of deal. And what we had to do was uh, uh, print out like a, like a form where people would put in like their their bank details. Then they would have to send that to us, and then we would have to process them every month. So uh, thinking back on that, uh, we came a long way. Yeah. It's awesome to hear all of the challenges you've been through, all of the crazy things. Thank you guys for joining the podcast. Really appreciate your time. I think this was really insightful for everyone. Thanks, Chase. Cool. Thank you very much. We want to thank Otto and Nino for joining us. If you're interested in Jimmy Joy, you can head over to jimmyjoy.com. If you're looking for more of our episodes, check us out at rechargepayments.com slash hit subscribe. And to get the latest episodes, remember to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening from.